His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's basically how Peter starts off this second letter, is reminding them uh, how important it is to trust in God and, and to be prepared for what's about to happen. And he says, he says, don't forget, He has given us everything that we need. Well, I think many of us could sit down and write a pretty long list of things that we want, we desire, maybe even the things we think that we need. But Peter is suggesting here that he's, his divine power is giving us everything we need for life and godliness. But listen how he goes on and describes this. He says, Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, and listen to this, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I mean, this is like he's saying, I, I'm here to give you life, and I'm, I'm going to help you escape. I, I don't know if any of you have spent any time in, in prison or even just visited one. Uh, recently, I've had the opportunity to do that. And I'm going to tell you something. It's, it's a scary, scary ordeal. Because you, you go through all these checks, and you have to give them all this stuff, uh, and then once you go through with nothing, but the clothes on your back, I mean, they check and make sure they don't have anything. You go through those doors, several sets of doors, and when you are in, you are in. Right, Richard? And you don't get out until somebody decides that you're going to get out. And it is just a, it's an eerie feeling, and it, it is a very sobering feeling to know that you have the hopes... That in just a few minutes, you're going to walk out the doors. But you look at people who have been locked inside for quite a long time. In fact, there's one gentleman I met there uh, who basically, he, he went into prison about the same time that I was born. And the thought that I was going to walk out those doors and that he wouldn't. That I would enjoy some freedoms that he will never enjoy again. The idea of wanting to escape. But I want us to give a, get a better idea of this. So I'm going to have some volunteers. And I say volunteers, I've already decided who I want to ask. And they don't know. So say yes or no. Am I working? Are we on? We're on. Okay, so Caleb, where are you, bud? I know you're hiding back there. Oh, you think that's so funny, Haley. Come up here too. You nudged him like, oh, that's funny. Okay, here we go. Uh, Wyatt, will you come up here? And will you grab your youngest daughter, a sister, Gracie? She's on the front, very front. Gracie, will you come up here with Bub, please? Okay, I also need Scott and Audrey. Where are you? They're around here somewhere. Okay, and then we'll get Brevin and Conlon. Okay, here we go. I, I think they must be helping out in the... Oh, there's Scott. I see you. Keep on coming, buddy. Find your sister, too. I think she may be helping out. Okay, so here we go. Um, this idea of escape is something that you're going to get to live out. I got to spend about seven years, a little over seven years of my life as a youth minister. and We do these uh, little uh, object lessons. This was absolutely my favorite. I love doing this with the kids. And so we're going to reenact this today. I need everybody on this side of the orange. 
I don't know, I, I assume y'all can see this. There's an uh, orange tape that I have that's tied to two chairs. Uh, the chairs are spread out far enough that it's now tight. It's now taut. Okay, and so uh, here's the deal. You are all prisoners. Okay, and you have gotten past the jail, and the last thing you need to do is you need to get past this fence. But this is an electric fence. If you touch it in any way, the sirens will go off and you will be caught. Okay? So y'all have to get over it. Now, I didn't have the time to create a fence that would stretch from here to there. So we're just going to assume, for the, the sake of this illustration, that the fence continues on. You can't go around it. Okay, Gracie, you can't go under it. Okay? You have to go over it. Okay, do you got it? Does everybody understand what's going on? One more thing. You've been in prison. There are guards everywhere. So you have to do this in total, absolute silence. Go. I said absolute silence. No, no. If you talk, you cannot talk. Of course, it's my son who does the talking. talking. I can do that. He's mine. You can't talk. You cannot talk. There can be nowhere. I can't hit you, but I can hit him. You can point. I knew I should have made it higher. I like that little leg kick at the end. That was, that was really nice. I kind of felt like you're in a musical or something. You know, very good. Okay, give them a hand. Okay, I want to talk about this for a second. Don't go anywhere. Okay, so now I do want you to talk. What What were you trying to convey to one another when you weren't supposed to talk, but you were talking a little bit? What What was the thought here? Okay, picking up everybody. Okay, I'm, I'm proud of you. I, I wanted to do it this way where I, I selected you to be with um, either a cousin or a sibling because I wanted you to feel that there was some sort of responsibility involved here. If, if you were eight strangers, okay, how likely would you have been to say, hey, let's get the smaller people over first. Let's get the, the ones who can't do it themselves. Bless you. I mean, why, why was that the first thought? Because that's the easiest? But, but what's really easier is if, Brevin, you hop the fence and do the little thing, and then you just take off running. Why not do that? Why did you make sure that Conlon got over? Because he's your brother? Now, you could draw this out and say, well, you know, here's the thing. 
if Brevin had made it over and Conlon didn't, well, that would be bad, you know, for more for Conlon than Brevin. But you could argue that, well, maybe, maybe Conlon could be interrogated and, and he could find out where Brevin is. And so maybe Brevin has some reason to help him get over. Uh, maybe because it helps him out a little bit. But I want to talk about the idea of we help people get over before we are completely concerned about our welfare. That we're willing to put others ahead of ourselves. Okay, um, look at your siblings and your cousins. Stand beside them for a second. This is going to be weird. I know, Scott, it's awkward. You've already had Thanksgiving. Okay, you've already had to take the picture. But I want you to look, turn, uh, spread out where I can have you all in a straight line. Uh, where every, yeah, just a long line beside each other. There we go. Okay. Now, I want you to look at each other for just a second. Look at each other. I know this is awkward. Okay. But I want you to think about this. I, I know what it's like to be a brother. I know what it's like to be a cousin. I know what it's like to absolutely despise your siblings and to be tired of getting beat up by them, right? But you also understand what? Nobody else is allowed to mess with them, right? Okay. You're there for your uh, brother. You're there for your sister physically. I, I know that Scott will put Audrey in the headlock and give her a noogie for a long time. I know this because I've seen it. It's what he kind of is supposed to do almost. It's his job, right? But I also know this. I also know that if I go and try to mess with Audrey and I put her in a headlock and give her a noogie, that's not going to go over real well with Scott. Well, he knows me, so he may join in. But if somebody else we don't know comes in, the fight's on, right? Because we're concerned about one another physically. I want you to think about your sibling. Wyatt, I want you to think about your sweet little sister, Gracie, who's not always sweet. And I know that you would do anything to protect her physically. I want you guys to think about what would you do to protect your sibling or your cousin spiritually? What will you do to look out and make sure that Satan, though he uh, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking those he may devour, that you will protect your brother or your sister from him. What would you do? Okay, you guys go have a seat. Thank you guys very much. Nobody got hurt. I thought about this over and over again. I've, I've taken off clothes in front of you. I've I put people in freezers, but I thought if somebody gets hurt in this, it would absolutely be the most infamous and the last sermon that I ever preached here. So thank you for not twisting an ankle or splitting a head open. That goes a long way with me. Second Peter chapter two, uh, chapter one is is so interesting because it's really reminding them to be prepared. In fact, he's going to go on and he's going to warn them in chapter 2 about these, these false teachers and these heresies that are being spread. But right here, what he's warning them is be prepared. Make every effort. And it's not like just watch out for yourself kind of deal. 
he talks about this idea of legacy in a few verses. But, but listen to this, starting in verse 5. He says, we're continuing where we, we left off just a moment ago. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to your goodness, knowledge. And to your knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. He has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Paul's going to, I'm sorry, Peter's going to tell them, he says, be prepared. Make every effort. It, it's like the training that a, a military officer might go through in order to be prepared in the event of a situation that might occur. Just a, a few weeks ago, I was visiting with John Montgomery. Uh, John Montgomery uh, is a, a unique individual, and I really like John. But one, one thing that makes John very special is he is one of only three gentlemen here. He's not here this morning, but he's one of three of our members who is a submariner. A submariner uh, is someone who has spent time on a submarine. Uh, another one of those is Jim. You've been a, a submariner as Barry Love. Uh, and so they know what it's like to be confined in a big metal tube that goes down quite a long ways. In fact, when I was talking with John, I was quizzing him about this, uh, and he says that they would plunge to depth uh, as low as 1,300 feet. And just to think about the pressure that was put on the hull of that submarine as it is going down, to have a quarter of a mile of water on top pressing down on that submarine. And he talked about the, the weird different maneuvers that they have to make. At one point they may be going down 45 degrees if it was a very severe depth and then they turned. He even talked about one time where they were poking around uh, near some uh, a Russian fleet uh, as they, they were doing exercises. Uh, and, and the Russians did not know they were there. Of course he and his uh, submarine buddies weren't giving anything away. Uh, an interesting story, I won't go into that, but, but he did talk about one particular story that really intrigued me. And it was of a time uh, when they were down and they lost all power. Uh, there was supposed to be a, uh, a trip that would be set, a fault uh, that would turn the lights back on, uh, but it had failed. And so they were in complete darkness. And he said, you don't know darkness until you're in a, a metal tube several hundred feet underwater and there are no lights. He's like, you can't see anything. For those of you who have visited Carlsbad and you've been to the caverns when they turned off the lights, I don't know that they do that anymore, but when I was a kid they would turn off the lights and you couldn't see your hand in front of you. And he said, he said it was just crazy. All the lights went out and the emergency lights that were supposed to go on didn't go on. 
And so there we were, and he says, don't get the idea that it's roomy in a submarine, because it's not. Everything is way too small for anybody. And he says, you don't walk around that place nearly as much as you crawl around, it seems like. And he was in a spot where when all the lights had gone out and no one could see, he was the closest to one of only a handful of battery-powered lights, basically a flashlight, that would allow them to get things back into order. And he said he knew where he was, and he knew where the flashlight was. And so he began feeling his way around based on what he had remembered so that he could slowly crawl over to that flashlight and get that light on. Think about that for just a second. Think about the implications of that. Think about what that means for us spiritually. You know, we know what it's like to walk around in the light. We can find things. We know what it's like on a Sunday morning when everything is great and wonderful and we're surrounded by people. But what happens when our world comes crashing down? Do we know where the light is? Have you been walking to the light so many times that in complete darkness you can still find where you need to go. Thankfully, John knew where he was and he knew where he was going and he was able to find it. But here's something that I really love about that story. You see, John wasn't just crawling to the flashlight so that he could find the light. Why was John going to the flashlight? He was doing it so that other people would be able to see the light. You see, no one around them could see where they were going. They didn't know where they were, or they didn't know where the flashlight was, or they couldn't get there. John, in the darkness, he knew where he was and he knew where he was going. He had practiced it. He had memorized it. He knew the corners where he needed to crawl, how he needed to get there. And when he got there, by turning on that light, he not only lit up his area, but he brought light to the people around him. And by finding the light around him, he was able to lead other people to the light. And other flashlights could be found. And ultimately, the whole submarine was able to be fired back up. If somebody could not have found a light, we wouldn't know John Montgomery. Someone had to know where they were and where they were going. I think this is really what Second Peter is talking about. Now we, we all, again, we can talk about life in the light, but what happens when the lights go out? What happens when the phone call comes in? What happens when the doctor's report comes back. 
how often do we go to the light that in darkness we can still find it? Second Peter, that's exactly what I was thinking. Second Peter goes on to say this. And I, I really like this. And, and this is why I wanted to bring up our, uh, our kids up here, especially the siblings and the cousins, because I want you all to hear this. This is starting in verse 12 of chapter 1. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. Verse 15. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Folks, we're creating a legacy. We're not only walking to the light, we're creating paths for our siblings, for our cousins, for our children and our grandchildren. We continue to walk. We continue to be reminded how to find the light so that we can lead other people to it. I know this is more like a January 1st type of sermon than a November type of sermon. Shouldn't we be talking about Thanksgiving? But Peter is really clear about this. Work right now. Walk right now. Grow closer to Jesus right now. Don't wait till it's dark to look for the flashlight. Be ready to help people when times are tough. We're coming in on a, a really busy month, aren't we? I think most of us would say that we're pretty busy people, but coming up in the next few weeks, all of us can make a list of things that we have to do. Presents that need to be bought, meals that need to be made, trips that need to be planned, Luggage that needs to be packed over and over again. We have things that we need to do to get ready. And it's going to be a hectic month. And for some of us, it's going to be a little dark. My prayer for you is that you begin this month looking for the light and reaching for your Savior. We want you to know that He's right here. He's reaching out to you. And as you draw near to Him, He draws near to you. We want you to know that there's no place that you have ever been or will ever go that will be too far for the light to reach each one of you. May you be blessed as you are reminded that we have His divine power that gives us life and godliness. May we remember that and may we praise our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we stand and sing this song this morning.